from a stuff quiz this year. The Dalai Lama, Nelson Mandela, Jeffrey Archer and Monica Lewinsky were all interviewees of which New Zealand broadcasting legend? No prizes for getting the answer right. And you know if you've become a quiz answer, you've done something important in life. Kim Hill has left the building after 38 years, on a constant basis anyway. Uh, there have been many awards, too many to mention, including the Association for International Broadcasting's Radio Personality of the Year, the big one. And more importantly, there's been the enduring love and loyalty of the Saturday morning audience for 21 years. So when we talked to Kim before her last show yesterday, we had to start really with a much derided reporter's first question, but the most appropriate one in this case. How does she feel ending that legacy? Is it possible to articulate? It's quite liberating mm-hmm. and also really sad. And I'm anticipating, you know, grief and an existential crisis. An existential crisis of what precise sort? I know you can't be utterly precise about existential crises, but of what general nature? Who am I? And what am I for? Yeah. You know, Yeah. because you read, you know what it's like, everything you read and everything you watch and everything you listen and you kind of in some way is framed by the programme. Mm. Um, and so if I haven't got a programme anymore, what will I read? I was going to ask you what you're going to read. Trashy novels. I've outsourced some of the questions and one of them was... Outsourced. Outsourced. (laughs) (laughs) I thought of some myself. Uh, And one of them was, what does Kim Hill like to read most, fiction or non-fiction? Well, absolutely both. You know, I I have absolutely no preference about reading everything. I read everything. Why are you going? Because often in media you hear about departures and you think, yes, well, that's the shelf life gone. We thought that. But that does not apply to you. And in the listener, New Zealand listener at the moment, it's good to leave before they throw you out. But you were by no means ever going to be thrown out. Oh, well, eventually one is, isn't one? Why? I don't want to break the news to you, Jim, but one day, (laughs) one day they're going to say, how would you like? No, I mean, I suppose that was a handy line that I gave to the listener and they helpfully put on the cover. Um, It's good to leave before you feel like you have to. You know, it's like a party. You leave before the last few drunks are left sitting at the table. But that's just to press the point further. Not that I'm suggesting and Kim Hill style. The rest of Radio New Zealand is the last few. You probably had 10 years before you had to. That's the thing. That's, that's what puzzles people, I think. All right. Um, I have two grandchildren. I have a daughter who lives in Auckland. I want to spend more time with them. And I want to be untrammeled by the constant mental preparation for a radio program every week on a Saturday morning, which... And, you know, people say it's only one morning yeah, a week. But, yeah. you know, it's not only one morning a week, right? We spend the whole week thinking about the programme. And you've managed to fit in morning report as well, which I never knew how you could have done. Yeah. It's quite nice to shake it up, though. It's quite <laughs> nice to, you know, get up before dawn and do really short interviews quite quickly. So as the poet William Butler Yeats once uh-huh. said, 
the intellect of man is forced to choose perfection of the life or of the work, and if it take the second, must refuse a heavenly mansion raging in the dark. <laughs> Are you going to explore the mansion now? Uh, maybe I will. I have absolutely no idea. I mean, I've worked for so long, and I will continue to work, yeah, but just yeah. not with the regularity of every Saturday morning. Yeah. So, I, don't, I mean, I've made a joke about learning to play the cello, but nobody's offered themselves to teach me yet. But I would like to do that. You've taken up pickleball. I did take up pickleball. Did it not take? Well, it uh, reminded me of how appalling I was at ball games. <laughs> do you have any other hobbies? I know you garden. I garden. Yeah. I don't have any other hobbies right now. Will you put out another cookbook? No, I will not. A hill, no. to, a hill to fry on or something like no, that? No, I will not. Oh, okay. Um, Sorry, that food, I'm so. just so over food. You know when you have a new baby in the house, which my daughter has and I've been yes. spending time with them, she has very, very generous friends and so there's baked goods and there's lasagnas and there's goodness. I just feel like I've – put it this way, I've, I'm above my birth weight. <laughs> <laughs> It's been uh, extraordinarily... You could discover great depths of joy now. I've always discovered great depths of joy, have you? Have you really? Damn it. Have you really? Um, yeah, now and again. You know, a bit of euphoria. Okay. Every now and again. Can you think of the last euphoric moment? Um, I've just been talking... Do you remember the young ones? Yes. And I've just done an interview um, uh, with Adrian Edmondson who played Vivian in The Young Ones. You know, it's kind of Sid Vicious of the comedy world. And he's, you know, 66 now. And he was just describing to me how during COVID, he found himself in his Devon garden listening to a song thrush yes. for a good 30 minutes. And this came as a complete epiphany to him because his whole life has been kind of busy. Yeah. And um, strange, you know, he's just, he's calmed down, he's calm, he's reflective. Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll just listen to a bird for longer than usual. I think he's put out a cookbook as well. He got very into cookery with a chap called David. Um, yeah, nah. I think food's overrated these days, Jim, to well, be quite frank. Yes, uh, society in decline is defined by the glorification of chefs. Exactly right. Yeah. Lark's tongues. Lark's tongues, yeah. and all that stuff. Mm. Rapport and evisceration, sometimes simultaneously. <sighs> that was a Diana Wichtel characterization of your interviewing style. Is that an efficient summary, do you think? I don't know. Well, I mean, I just, just... I don't never feel particularly eviscerating... But maybe I just don't see myself very when you've accurately. Been, when, you've prof, when you've been profiled, people are fond I don't of, read I have to t I never read those things. Ever? Ever. Well, I'll tell you. I don't want you to. Just a little bit. People are fond of mentioning your tetchiest interviews with John Pilger. I would on my daughter said to me yesterday, if there's one thing I'm very glad about with your retirement from Saturday morning is people will stop banging on about the John Pilger interview. I'm not going to, though. Which has got quite boring. But I'm just mentioning it in and context. And I never threw the bloody book at him. No. You know that. No. 
That was gen- one of those myths. You gently shoved them across the, the desk. Yeah. Uh, the men lit author Tony Parsons, Jeffrey Archer. But, you got your head up your ass. But with that, that's what he says. I said, what? But with Pilger, you have said if he weren't so prickly, he wouldn't be as good at his job. Yeah. Whatever change of adjective you might choose to, for variation on prickly, uh, does a version of that apply to you? Impatience. Yeah. I lack patience. Hunger for clarity. I'm trying to help you out here. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Clarity would be would be nice. She said. Unclearly, um, yeah, I get impatient when people beat around the bush. But no Schadenfreude or anything like that. For whom? The person sitting opposite you. Schadenfreude? No. No. What pleasure and pain? <laughs> no. 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 Just curious. No, you're okay. making me sound like some kind of sadist. Well, I won't now because I've. I want to tell you that I've always liked you. Oh God. This is like, remember Paul Holmes yeah. when he wrote his biography and he came on the radio. I must have been doing, I must have been doing Saturday mornings then. And in, in the book, he had merely said, the more I met Kim, the more I liked her. What's wrong with that? Well, because it means that he really hated me the first time he met me. <laughs> and he knew he meant that. I don't know if he meant that. He did. I liked you because I was, when I first came here, I was filling in on nine to noon in probably a reasonably modest capacity. And I came out of the studio. You see, you don't remember this. No. And you were sitting right there and you, I don't know how much of the show you listened to, but you said, oh, that was great. That was fantastic. And it's those little courtesies that one remembers ah. from colleagues that you meet. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I know listeners know about your warmth, but also you are sentimental. I've got evidence for that. Mm. Do you think you're sentimental? Oh, can be, yeah. Because you once found a goat, didn't you? Yes. A a goat and its mother had died. Who told you that? And you wrapped it up in a jumper and took it home. On my horse. On your horse. It was great. It's a great story. And goat died. You could have died. It could have died. Goat died. Goat died. I think goat I was there was a reason for the goat languishing by the side of the trail. Yes. And the reason was that it was pretty sick. And then in the middle of the night, I discovered that it was absolutely infested with ticks and mites. Mm. And so I squid. It's not a good story. I, I put some of that um, flea repellent stuff that you put on cats. I put it on the goat. And this may or may not be responsible for the goat's demise. Uh. Anyway, I took it to the SPCA and then it died in their arms. You tried to do the right thing. I did. I tried. But the road to hell, as you know, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) When I was doing that show, I must have been quite serious. And I got a text from a listener who said, it's nice to hear serious conversations uh, because there are so many conversations that are reminiscent of a a reef fish in a lagoon, Uh. meaning the reporter is a reef fish flitting brightly and not daring to go down into the depths. Mm. And I thought, well, I don't know if I'm a reef fish by nature, but I probably am in practice. What sort of a fish or animal or plant would you be? Uh. Well, I always feel a bit... As a, as a reporter or a journalist or broadcaster, I feel 
like I'm a voyeur. Yes. So I'm talking to remarkable people and basking in the glow of remarkable people and in some way being aggrandized as a result of the remarkable people. So I suppose I'd be some kind of bottom-feeding anemone. Oh, that doesn't sound flattering. No, but I think that's probably it. An opportunistic anemone. Do an anemone... Uh-huh. Do those things <laughs> display much flair and incisiveness? Oh, they're and... very, they're very attractive. <laughs> they're very colourful and attractive. Okay. And I think they probably have a secret life. And an enemy. Yeah. How do you, well, no, I won't ask you how you spent your week, um, even though it was a, a serious question from a colleague. Um, do you keep the nice things that listeners say about you? Keep. Because... You could have a great many. I'm sure there have been a great many, not just recently. No, they're lovely, the listeners. So you could print them off, make a wallpaper out of them and have ah, a tribute room. In I, your could, house. I could have a tribute room. But it's so much more fun, the bonkers things, the radically dreadful things that they say, don't you find? Yes. I bet you don't get those texts. I did when I filled in for you. I Did got a you? lot of bonkers texts when I filled in for the Great Cam Hill. What do you mean, bonkers? Well, you know. Just saying you're crap and chi- That's not bonkers. You're that's crap. A- Where's Kim? That's true. That's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> no, the mad ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're part of the global conspiracy. And yes. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I just think that they're hilarious. Yeah. After, but I, <sighs> after a while, they do wear yeah. a bit thin. And sometimes I suspect people are attention seekers. Anonymous out there in the dark. Yeah. Raging in the dark. Yeah. Are you a technophobe? I'm told you like writing things down longhand. Always. Including yeah. on air? Yeah. Because I've never seen you work. Yeah. I've never done a lick of work in my life, Jim. <laughs> um, no, always handwriting. What do you drink on air? What do you coffee. drink? Coffee. And sometimes, mid-morning, a cup of very, very, very strong hot chocolate and Milo. Oh. Mm, made with milk. What's a meal that, in a cup. What does that do for you in the middle of the show? Mm, mm, it tastes good. <laughs> what do you do immediately the show is over? I pick up material which is available for the next show and I like to go home and go to bed. Sunday afternoon, uh, Saturday afternoon? Yeah. Okay. Just to be quiet. Yeah. So you're recharging the battery? Yeah. Has your job given you... Weltschmerz made you more cynical, more blasé, or ever more open to newness? Ever more open to newness is the answer. And it worries me that I won't have that canal of newness running into my brain mm. now so much. You know, I told, you know, it's like a, not all the people we talk to are our choice. Yeah. A producer says... Um, what do you think about that? I said, well, I don't know. I've not, never been particular. They say, no, they're great. And they turn out to be great, you know, and I'm always really, really happy about that, that there is nobody who fails to be interested. The media you read, because you can do that by choice now and not through duty. Yeah. Uh, what do you browse online if work isn't the... Imprimata, uh, what telly do you watch, that sort of thing? I still really, really like, there's a thing, and nobody ever goes there probably anymore, the A&L Daily. I go there. Which Dennis Dutton said. Dennis up, Dutton, yeah. The late Dennis Dutton. And I really like that, you know, because it's, it's a whole, it's a, 
it's a curated bunch of all sorts of media and you can pick your way through there. It's been quite a lot of time browsing that. That was one of Dennis Dutton's great legacies. Yeah, it was a good legacy. He got me into firewalking. He set up an experiment at Canterbury. Canterbury to prove, University. To prove, prove that it was nonsense. Yeah, or to prove that anyone can do it. Yeah. <laughs> if they maintain sufficient momentum That's over the right. hot coals. Uh, Which is a metaphor for life itself. My God, it is too. Ah. Thank you. <laughs> when have you been hardest on yourself? What sorts of times? Oh. Um, when an interview has not gone kind of wildly bad because that in itself is itself, you know what I mean? Yeah. But if, and I can't think of any specific examples, but interviews that could have been better. Yeah, and we have tons of those. Several so. times. You were asked in an interview to name the most magnificent phrase in literature and you said it was Leonard Cohen's there is a crack in everything, that's where the light gets in, yes. which seems very Kim Hillian. But um, how about epithets that have inspired you, even doggerel, just little mantras that you've latched onto that you may use to propel your life, like P.G. Woodhouse, the verse he had above his typewriter, that sort of thing. What was the verse he had about his typewriter? L- life is mostly froth and bubble, two things stand like stone, kindness in another's trouble, courage in your own. There you go. See, I find that remarkable that you can just bring to mind those verses. We used to have to learn poetry at school. Yeah, so did we, but I certainly don't remember it now. I might have a few years of broadcasting left. There is an aisle in Innisfree, is about as far as I get, talking about (laughs) your WB weights. WB weights. Yes. Um, No, not really. I, I, I don't have a motto that helps me get through. Okay, just thought I'd ask. I'm just making it up every day, Jim. Is it awful being interviewed? (laughs) They promised me a makeup artist and a Winnebago. And if it weren't for me? And what have I got? Jim's daughter's powder puff in the (laughs) ladies' toilet. (laughs) Yeah, no, I genuinely hate it. Don't you? No, not really. Don't you? But I'm not interviewed. <laughs> I'm seldom interviewed, but um, in the days when I'm I was... I'm seldom interviewed too, but all of a sudden now, as a consequence of my departure, everybody discovered they're desperate to talk to me. <laughs> uh, your biggest coup on radio, I think I know what it was. Mm. Tell me what you think it was. Salman Rushdie. Oh, do you? Mm. Don't you? No. Getting him after the satanic verses and first mm. person to interview I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't think that was a particular coup because he wasn't particularly interesting, to tell you the truth. I mean, and understandably so, he was very guarded. Yeah. And on account of those eyelids that I think he still since had operated on, he just gives you this air of utter boredom. (laughs) And so that's a bit off-putting. You've had interviews you regret. I, Je regret rien. Uh, because uh, I think Monica Lewinsky, I'm not going to go into the Monica Lewinsky interview, but... I don't regret it. Don't you? No. I just observe that that was that time and this is this time and it would be different now. Yeah, well, you got remarkable information, I think. Or at least you elicited 
a genuine response and raised a really genuine issue. Yeah. Yeah. But it was very brave of you. You've had some... Why was it, how was it brave of me? Because it's a daring first question to ask, I would have thought. Oh, was that about the blowjob? Yeah. I suppose so. I mean, it's the question, isn't it? I know, but you've got to gird yourself up for questions like that, surely. Well, and do you think it was unfair? Don't have an opinion about it. I, I've got a certain degree of admiration. I agree that you wouldn't ask that in this time, but it wasn't this time. No, it wasn't this time. And there's a person who's reinvented herself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is she the same person she was? I doubt it. We tried to get her the other day, but she said no. Ah. Uh, um, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> you've had some hot shows with big talent recently. You, you've actually ended with a bang. The time-honoured question, I'm sorry to ask you this almost, but who would you want to interview that you haven't, maybe both living and dead? I think you expect me to say Leonard Cohen, which is not the case because I revere him so that I just, I just A, I probably couldn't have interviewed him, and B, he might have been boring. I don't think he would have been boring. He might have been a bit woo-woo. Oh, he could have been a bit woo-woo. And, you know, I would have... Anyway, so there's that. Um, I, I would quite like to talk to Henry Kissinger. Okay. One of the oddest things that's happened to me in the last couple of days, and there have been a few odd things, is that I got a long and very, very nice email from Ruth Richardson. Ah. Who reminded me that... Her mother is in her 90s and still engaged with the world and that Henry Kissinger is 100 and writing a new book. Her point was that I still have many miles to go. <laughs> and that was very kind of her. But it made me think, yes, Henry Kissinger, he'd be a good interview. What would you ask him? I'd the... ask him how he would defend himself if he were finally to be charged with being a war criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. And do you think he would answer honestly? That you'd get a lot of flim-flam and obfuscation, wouldn't you? I don't know. I mean, do you have much flim-flam left when you're 100 years old? Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And delving back into history, further back into history? Is it one yes, person? I'm so agitated here. I've just spilt coffee over myself repeatedly. Shall we take a pause from no, you? No, I can do. I feels at home. I always do this. Very good. Uh Sorry, yeah. I interrupted that difficult last question. No, it's not a difficult question. Uh, I've always remembered, speaking of rem remembering rhyme and verse, mm. Paul Simon's song lyric about the famous talk show host everywhere his name is known. He said, there's no doubt about it, it's the myth of fingerprints. I've seen them all and, man, they're all the same. Wow. And I've always thought there must be a nugget of truth in that because I've always stored it in my brain. Do you think there's a nugget of truth in that? That everybody's all the same? Yeah, I've seen them all and, in fact, they're you all the You mean famous people are all the same? Famous, yeah. Well, if you are famous, then I suppose you try and align yourself with what people want because fame is a bit of a drug, is it not? Yeah. People like it. So once you get a taste of it, you make yourself into what people want. And what people want is usually pretty samey. Don't it, you think? Yeah. Like breakfast cereals, you know. 
I'm interested in fame because uh, Edmund Burke said fame is the passion of all great souls. It's not a dirty word. Um, fame. Have he, he, I think he meant something different, didn't he? Something with more He He thought prestige. fame <laughs> involves some kind of moral grandeur rather know. than the kind of celebrity shtick that we associate if with. If he had it. meant moral grandeur, would he have used the word fame? Yeah, I think so. Have you minded being famous? I don't feel famous. Yeah. It's only now, I think. <sighs> this is weird. But most of the time, I'm sitting in a small dark room talking to somebody that I can't even see about interesting things. Yeah. That's not what famous people do, is it? I'm not out there, you know, nightclubbing and wearing glittery gowns and attending. No, but just because you're not recognised and a lot of famous authors wouldn't be recognised, that doesn't mean to say you lack fame. Well, I'm not a famous author. I talk on the radio. It's not a, it's not brain surgery. I'm privileged to have a job. But it is brain surgery. You get your scalpel and you That's, dig into people's brains. No, I don't. Well, you can. You don't all the time. But I you really can don't. do. I don't. I just don't think I do anything. I've just been around for a long time. No, Jim. you know that's not true. I re Anyway, I can't argue this anymore because you're going to argue against me and we're going to end up getting nowhere. You must get recognised, though. I mean, especially in places like Wellington. I get The voice gets recognised. Yeah, yeah. And it's aged into this kind of, I don't know how you would describe it, <clears throat> damaged baritone. Um but I don't get recognised so much. Most people say, gosh, you look like Kim Hill, <laughs> which is quite a nice thing because I say a lot of people say that. What question would on. you ask yourself? What question would you ask yourself in an interview? And it's like trying to lift yourself up, isn't it? Mm. I would ask no idea. Really? I've drawn a blank. You I wouldn't can't. ask yourself, for example, what deep, impelling thing got you into broadcasting? No, I know what got me into broadcasting. What got you into broadcasting? I didn't have anything else to do. I'd worked in a massage parlour. I'd gone up to Tairua to witness the death of my father. I worked in the pub. I wasn't... Where was I going? I was 21 years old and I'd fallen in love... And I knew that that wasn't the rest of my life. And a friend said, why don't you apply for broadcasting school? And I said, oh, all right then. And I went down to Christchurch and Brian Priestley thought that I was fun and zany because I'd written Massage Parlour. And he <laughs> found out that I was resolutely and incredibly boringly middle class, much <laughs> to his, yeah, disappointment. Well, you haven't disappointed him since. No, I don't know. He thought very little of the electronic media, Brian. <laughs> he was a newspaper man. And I actually, I was inculcated with that view, I think, because after I started in radio, I thought I'm not a real journalist until I go and work for a newspaper. So I did. It's interesting, you're, I won't, bore you with questions about self-perception. But you are, in fact, in a 
fairly small pantheon, I think, of the truly great and memorable broadcasters in New Zealand. There are tons that we remember with respect as their names come to mind in conversations, but there's not a whole lot of you in that top tier, and that's what you've managed to be. Small country. Uh, big talents. I'm talking about big talents, though, even though the country's small. Mm. Mm. Well, that's gratifying, isn't it? Yeah, and will that be able to – will you be able to hang on to that in terms of well, – I mean, do you not, believe in legacy? Do you, are you one of those people who looks back and thinks legacy, legacy or not? No. No. Not at all. So you'll march on to the next uh, thing. I think I'll march on, Jim. I'll march on. No, I don't think about legacy at all. You know, and times are different now. I mean, it's arguable you and I are, to a certain extent, in the twilight of the media world. I'm sorry to break the news to you this way. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a shock, actually. You but, you know, it's everybody's digital now, yeah, and yeah. we've got a small pool of people, a relatively small pool, of, you know, highly intelligent and lovely people, who have an appointment with us on Saturday, have had an appointment with us on a Saturday, or along may you continue a Sunday morning. Thank you. But, you know, times are a-changing. And you become fish and chip wrappings far quicker than in the old days. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, you won't. That's the good news. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Congratulations on the career. And I know it's not over. As you say, you're coming back to do... It's not over, damn it. Big, long interviews. Yes, but a big part of it in terms of that weekly presence is it'll be digitised and digital now, won't it? That's the thing. Yeah. And, you know, back in the day we used to put a programme together and we'd have, you know, light and shade and this and that and balance there and difference there. But the way people listen now... Is fragmented. Yeah. It's like people don't listen to albums anymore. They don't listen to whole radio programs anymore. We just have to suck it up. Mm. What do you listen to? Apart I, from Saturday morning regularly, of course. Uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't miss a second of Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to read rather than listen. Yes, me too, actually. I'm, I'm a, I scan 150 websites, you know what I mean? Oh, oh you read online. Yeah, but like a reef fish. Wow. Yeah. I really but with know. a memory like yours, it's all lodged in there somewhere. I don't know. The memory's not quite as sharp as it was. No, but it's amazingly sharp. Thank I mean, you. I think it's amazing to remember quotes that you learned years ago. That was the benefit of being trained by Mr. J.H. Evans at Otago Boys High School. Ah. Lovely to talk. Lovely to talk. And among your many interviews you're giving, thanks for giving us one. Um, it was strangely unpainful, thank you, Jim. Mm. Pretty about the makeup and the Winnebago. Yeah, terribly sorry about the shortcomings of it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Kim Hill talking to us, and a big response as came in yesterday. Goodness me, no surprise there. I'd be happy to teach you to play the cello, Kim, but lessons would be in Martinborough, Victoria. A great tide of affection in these texts, as happened yesterday, and so deserved. Kim is like a dolphin, extremely intelligent, playful. Everyone loves them, and one never tires of them. And a few people have mentioned the Burt Reynolds interview, which we didn't, in case anyone wants to go back and listen to that one of Kim's.